My name is Rudy Rockman. We're outside of the 2020 APAC Policy Conference, Hebrew Year 5780. Our mission is to engage with the protesters outside, to break out of our echo chambers, and to either expose anti-Semitism or to create genuine, nuanced conversations in order to write a better future together. Let's see what we get. Yalla. Habibi, thank you, brother. Nice talking to you. you I love you. Inshallah, Inshallah we'll, have peace. we'll change and become good humans and, and take care of our children and our future. Inshallah. We have to. We can't keep killing our That's kids. Right. That's right. We can't. On another episode of Soothing Semantics, I am your host, Rafi Pinsky. Guys, don't forget to subscribe to the channel, like the episode, comment, share your thoughts. Welcome to ask any questions, and I look forward to it. Today, we have Rudy Rachman, Rashman, or I always forget how to pronounce your last name, brother. In Hebrew, it's Rashman, and in English, it's Rachman. Okay, fine. So whichever uh, you guys prefer to do uh, should be fine. Okay. Cool. So, brother, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. L looking forward to this. So, uh, guys, Rudy is somebody who's extremely passionate about bringing peace between Israelis and the Palestinians. Uh, somebody who is at the forefront of this, I would say, you're the face of this. Um, he's very well known. Whoever doesn't know him, uh, I implore you to check YouTube, Instagram, to really take a look at his work and, and see what he does. I think um, he does an incredible job in helping to explain both sides. Um, I thoroughly enjoy what you what you put out, and and I, I thank you for being such a passionate person in what you do. There are many people who do it to some degree, but you're you're really uh, aggressive about it in the sense where you you just absolutely love what you do and. And, and I love seeing it as, a, as another, as a fellow Jew. So last time we spoke, we kind of went into the difference between being a, uh, you know, it was an activist versus, do you get where I'm going with this? Where people kind of, and I'm forgetting what, what- Advocate? Sorry? Activist versus advocate? I think those were the two the two uh, opposing sides, and you were saying that you are. I don't know if it was. What do you kind of coin yourself as? Okay, so most people use the term advocate or advocacy or Israel advocacy or even pro-Israel, and okay. to me, I see advocacy as someone who's supporting something, so a fan of a cause, and someone who's pro-Israel is someone who's a fan of Israel. I don't think Jews are pro-Israel. I think Jews are Israel. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm not pro-Rudy because it's redundant. Obviously, I'm pro the interest of myself. Um, so I don't think we should be seeing ourselves as pro-Israel. We should be seeing ourselves as a part of Israel. Now, in terms of activist versus advocate, I see it as the difference between a player and a fan. So you can support a cause. That's fine. That's great. But I don't see myself as a supporter of a cause. I see myself more as a player on the ground trying to move that cause forward. And a part of moving that cause forward is also creating unity within the space of our country, our land, um, and to create unity with the peoples and the inhabitants here, including the Palestinians. Okay, no, that's a very fair point. I, I would say I'm definitely on the same page. Um, <clears throat> where, uh, I, I also saw you were working on a project now. Um, I saw it pretty recently on YouTube that you were meeting with Palestinians and you were trying to really uh, bring Israelis and Palestinians together to talk things out. You also had that video a couple of months back where you had uh, three Israelis and three Palestinians, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if all the Jews were Israelis, but I know that we were, we were essentially having panel with three Arabs and three Jews, and both of them were kind of explaining their sides. And for the most part, it seemed like a pretty cordial, respectful conversation. Uh, ultimately, what do you feel is going on right now as far as what's happening outside of Israel, meaning the parties on both sides outside of Israel and what's happening inside of Israel. You, now let me go a little bit deeper so, so it's like very uh, clear. 
outside of Israel, a lot of people simply believe what they hear. Now, even in Israel, it's like that. Bias happens no matter where you are. But how do you feel it differs as far as, say, in colleges, um, where a lot of the time people don't necessarily see the Israeli side of things? So I know you're very active on college campuses. Yeah. So overall, college campuses have been mostly and pretty much hijacked, and there's been a movement of uh, projecting the zero-sum game narrative that the Palestinians are good and that the Israelis are bad. And I'm not against Palestinians. I'm very pro-Palestinian. And notice I'm saying pro-Palestinian because I'm not Palestinian, so I'm using the term pro-Palestinian. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to be anti-Israel. In fact, I think if you're anti-Palestinian or anti-Israel, you're anti-both because there's no reality where either population are going to disappear. And in order for either to achieve their aspirations and to end the injustices that they both experience, which again is not a competition, uh, we're going to have to come together to move forward. I think that on college campuses for the past 15 to 20 years, there have been these pushes to take the entire conflict, to take the context out of the conflict and to blame everything, the consequences of this conflict on the Jews. And that's typical anti-Semitism. Find the source of suffering and pain of a situation in society and blame it on the Jews. And it's being done here as well. And on the college campus, they're pushing this movement by going to all the different minority groups on the campus and then saying, oh, what do you suffer from? Well, we suffer from the same thing and creating these coalitions to get people to uh, see their pain as um, basically we have an oppressor that is causing us pain and that oppressor is the same oppressor that is equivalent to Israel. And they're going even further by saying Israel is also creating your oppression. It's responsible for police brutality. It's responsible for wars in Africa. It's responsible for all sorts of stuff that obviously we know isn't true, but anti-Semitism has never been saying, spread by saying something true or logical. In terms of the differences between what's going on outside of the land and inside of the land, I think people are a lot more polarized outside of the land. I think people are a lot more disconnected from the reality. Um, a lot of Palestinian students on college campuses have even never been to the land, and so they're speaking speaking in a way that it's like Israel is the enemy and Jews are the enemy. We can't even negotiate. We can't even speak. We can't even have a conversation. We can't even have a relationship. You're just evil. You're wrong. You're bad. And it's a lot of rejection that is very, very hardcore. It doesn't mean all, but it's a very common theme amongst those that are active on behalf of the Palestinian rights. And when you look in Israel, it's a lot less like that. Of course, you have division. Of course, you have extreme groups on both sides. But the average Palestinian does not reject Israelis. Yes, they reject the status quo. Yes, they're suffering. Yes, they have a lot of critiques of the Israeli government, and as they should. Um, but they don't reject the Israeli people as much because they live with the Israeli people. Even if most Palestinians are um, living in Judea and Samaria or living in Gaza, at the very least for generations, they have had... Uh, integration with one another, had relationship with one another, they are working with one another, hundreds of Palestinians are coming into Israel to work. Uh, so there is at the very least this humanization and understanding that these are human beings, that there are good people, that there are bad people, and that these millions of people aren't just going to disappear. And I think a lot more Palestinians understand that in the land than outside of the land. Furthermore, a lot of Palestinians see how beautiful Israel is, how advanced Israel is, how civilized Israel is. And they see the kind of lifestyle that they have under the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. So they know that, you know, the best solution is for us to be able to come together and to create a civilization that represents us all with Israel included. That doesn't mean to just extend what Israel is beyond and to just make them under Israel as, you know, someone that is submissive and under Israel, but to recreate and recraft the structure of the society that fulfills the aspirations of both without destroying the positives that Israel brings to the table and the needs that the Jewish people have. So I think that there's a difference in the relationship with each other when it comes to outside and inside. And naturally, people that are on the outside are much less aware of what's actually happening on the inside. And that happens not only for Palestinians, but also for Jews. Okay. Lots of fantastic points. So a couple of questions I have from what you said. What would what do you feel would be the solution? A funny question, as always. Everyone's everyone wonders that. Based on what you you want both sides to get together, which I, I happen to think is, is kind of the only solution. Uh, but as far as this two-state solution goes, my personal feeling is that as Israel's more advanced, as it is a democratic society, it would probably it would be better for both parties to live in an, in an Israeli way of life versus a Palestinian way of life, just seeing how freedoms work. Uh, now, there are obviously people on the other side, the Palestinian side, who probably wouldn't want that because they would want all of the land to go back to them. But because the things are so complex, how would it work where they feel they have that sense of equality, 
but they're still under a rule that isn't necessarily theirs. All right, so a few things to go over. First of all, the two-state solution, I think, is an insult to the aspirations of both collective peoples. It is an idea that it was imposed by the West, that we should just divide this land. And you have to understand that the Israelis and Palestinians, our relationship with this land is not just a territory where we created a safe place, it's our soulmate. The Jews had options to create a state in Uganda, in Birobijan, in Angola, in Madagascar, in Argentina. And obviously, we would never accept that because the only place where we can reconnect and build our civilization is the land of Israel. And Palestinians have a very similar idea and relationship when it comes to the land. They see this land as a land that must be unified, not divided, and as one. Now, of course, you'll find individuals still pushing the idea of a two-state solution, but the vast majority of peoples reject it. So to go over why a two-state solution won't work, at least from the Jewish perspective, Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, is the heartland of the Jewish people. When we look through our history and we talk about where our civilization was, it wasn't in Tel Aviv. It wasn't in Haifa, and it wasn't in Ranana, and it wasn't in Herzliya or Kfasaba. These are new cities, these are new towns that existed in the past 100 years. It was in uh, Beit Lechem, it was in Yeriko, it was in Hebron, it was in Shechem, it was in Beit El, it was in Beitar, it was in Yerushalayim. These are all in Judea and Samaria. So the cradle of Jewish civilization is in Judea and Samaria. So to say that the most important part of the land of the Jewish people, of the indigenous rights of that people, is going to be removed and they won't have access to it or be in a separate state just will never happen. Now, in order to create this idea of a two-state solution, you'd have to remove the over half a million Jewish population living in Judea and Samaria. Do you really see anyone going and removing universities, cities with factories and towns and schools and children and women and elderly and men and all sorts of people, half a million people just to displace them for this idea of a two-state solution, which doesn't even fill the aspirations of both populations? And okay, let's say you do that. What, you're going to remove two point something million Palestinians slash Arabs in Israel? There's going to be just a transfer of populations? That's also not going to happen. Now, furthermore, if we look at those half a million Jews, around 600,000 Jews living in Judea and Samaria, they all have guns because they're living in a, they, an area that there's a lot of terrorist attacks that have happened, so they have guns to defend themselves. And if you look at the IDF, the vast majority of combat officers are religious Zionists. So if ever even the state of Israel thought to remove them, there would be a civil war. There would be a mm -hmm. mutiny in the IDF and there'd be a civil war where people would fight to prevent that from happening. Let's go even further. We already saw what happened in Gaza. I was against removing Jews from Gaza because I don't think we should be removing Jews and I don't think we should be removing Palestinians just for living there. But the reality is, look what happened in Gaza. Do you want Gaza, the same thing for Hamas to take over and to create it as a base to launch rockets and to dig tunnels into Israel when Gaza at least is very far from the center of Israel? Judea and Samaria is the center of Israel. So on many different layers, a two-state solution will happen and is not something that the Jews want. It is not something that the Palestinians want as a collective. Now, in terms of finding a solution, I think, again, it has to focus on two things for both peoples, fulfilling the aspirations of both Jews and Palestinians and ending the injustices of both Jews and Palestinians. And the reality is we have different aspirations and we have different suffering that we go through. And they actually don't contradict in order to be determined or resolved. So before I go into a theory that I think has potential, I want to break down an analogy for people to understand that a solution won't be just found and imposed. It has to be worked up and it is a process to get there. So let's say I'm an artist and I want to create a masterpiece painting. Before I pick the frame that I'm going to use, what, what size frame, what material, is it wooden, is it metallic, what color it is, is the first thing I need to do is know what I want to draw. First, I need to come up with the size of the canvas, texture of the canvas, come up with an idea of a picture, start to paint, what kind of paint do I want to use even, you know, start painting, mess up, fix, maybe I switch to a different idea in the midway. And then when I finish the masterpiece painting, I take a step back and say, well, you know what? Originally, I thought a thick wooden frame would work, but now actually looking at it, I think a thin metallic frame will work. Or you know what? No frame at all. So we can go into a frame store and theorize what type of frames we want to use which represents the ideas of a solution. But until the artists come together, which are the Jews and the Palestinians, and actually decide what kind of image they want to create and go along the process of creating that, we're never going to get there. So any conversation of a solution is a theoretical conversation. And theoretical conversations are healthy to have. To have ideas out on the tables is something very healthy. But there's never going to be, this is the solution, and this is what both peoples have to live by. It is going to have both peoples come together from the ground up to develop something and to work their way to that. Now, are there valid solutions that exist out there? Sure. I think something like a federation plan 
is something that can potentially work for both peoples, where we create more local government and less uh, national government or domestic government and give rights to people on the local level, which is actually how Jews always lived and governed themselves and how also Palestinians want to govern themselves. So there are many ideas out there that could exist that could work for the benefit of both peoples. But again, it's a process to get there. Okay, but still there would have to be a rule. Somebody would have to be the, the main ruler, meaning it would either be in a Jewish rulership or, or a Palestinian rulership, right? So Overall. there could be a system like they have in other countries where you'd have to have, um, you know, a Jew being the prime minister and a Palestinian being the president. That's something that could happen. Um, or if you look at it, if you look at what Palestinians really want in um, Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, they care less about this domestic national stuff and they care more on the local level. And you ask most Israelis living in Hanana, Aliyah, and different places, you ask them who the mayor is. And most people don't know who the mayor of the city that they're living in is. And if they do because they heard it once, they most likely don't know what that person does. But if you go to Palestinian communities and villages and towns and you ask them, who is the family that is running this town? Right away, they'll tell you and they'll tell you everyone in that family and what their position is and if they're good and they're bad. So the idea of leadership and control is very different in the aspirations of both peoples. So let's say you take Area C and you make it a part of Israel and you'd have a double uh, system of government. You'd have one government that would be in charge of Israel proper, which would include Area C, and whether you're Jew, Palestinian, you know, identify as Arab or Druz or Bedouin or Cherkessi or Armenian or all these sort of identities that exist in the land, you would vote equally under the law. And whoever would be the, the party that would be elected would be the prime minister and the way that they're doing things, although I think we should change the Knesset completely, but let's just say that was kept intact. And then you would take Area A and B and then divide it into the eight regions that they basically are already. And you would have local power. So for example, uh, you'd have area one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and the, each area would have more local power. They'd have more control of how uh, they use taxes, tax money. They'd have more control of how they do infrastructure, of how they do education, of how they do security, of how they do all sorts of stuff. And so if you have more control on the local level, you have less control on the national level, just as they on this side would have more control on the national level and less control on the local level. And you create a system of checks and balances of power and it's not based on who you are but where you live so let's say i were to go move to area two then i would vote on the local level and no longer for the knesset and if a palestinian were to choose to move to tel aviv they would now vote for the knesset and no longer on the local level and they would have uh, an individual that would be let's say one individual per uh, place that would have an automatic seat in the knesset so they would have some sort of representation towards the uh, domestic level but less so because they have more local power again this is a theory because it's built on, okay, what are the actual needs of Palestinians and what are the actual needs of Israelis and how can we create something that actually works? It's a theory that might not work at all. And there are many versions of this federation. I just gave you one that was created between Israelis and Palestinians. But the idea is that if we don't actually think of the needs of both peoples, the aspirations of both peoples and the suffering of both peoples and create something based on that, we're never gonna get there. And a two-state solution doesn't take into consideration either for either people. Yeah, it's just uh, that that probably that's probably the the most level-headed thing I've heard about how to solve this. It just becomes complicated when we think about whether both sides would agree to do something like that. Because I feel that there's a large percentage of both sides who really does not want there to be that level of equality, which makes it difficult. Um, we would really have to come to the table because take Hamas and Fatah for example, they don't want that. And the Palestinians elected them. So, you know, in a, in a utopian world, this sounds like a great idea, man. You know, the thing that's that's interesting that I've, that th we're the only two groups of people, I would say, in history where one group fought the war and won, and now we're trying to make it work for both ends. In any other circumstance, some we, we def one party, one side defeats the other and the other party loses and that's it. The winner makes the decisions. I'm not saying that, that this isn't a better way because, you know, I think it's it, we're in a situation where we're trying to have both sides live peacefully. It, in a sense, makes it very, very much more complicated because if, although we won and although Israel has a lot more power, we're in this predicament where the outside world's constantly on top of us. We're seen as the bad guys because we have the power. And now 
you know, we've been dealing with this for over 70 years and both parties are just having a very, very difficult time where Jews think it belongs to us, Arabs think it belongs to them. And when it comes to splitting the land as Jews, we can always worry that, hey, we might lose that Jewish majority as well, which is a big concern for a lot of a lot of Israelis and Jews. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely hear where you're coming from. And like a, a large part of me likes it. Um, it's just... You hear, you know what I mean? It, the, I think just both sides would have a, even, even then would have such a hard time with that. Cause it'd be like, well, we have peace, but it's not fully ours anymore. And then we're worried about the numbers. Cause you know, other than, other than the Haredi, the, the Hasidic Jews, uh, Arabs have a lot more children. So they're, the, they tend to, you know, grow more. So a few things, first of all, I don't want peace. I want justice. Because peace is basically saying I want the continuation of the status quo and I don't want a continuation that's nonviolent to the status quo just because it's nonviolent. I want to change the system to create a just system. And when you have a just system, then you have peace forever, not just for a period of time where two or more parties don't find the need to fight each other because there's no incentives to do so. So first of all, I'll disagree. And I think that most people do want to live together. Most Israelis and Palestinians are tired of this and just want to have better lives. When it comes to Fatah, what are they? On the 16th, 17th year of their four-year term, and there have been no elections, they don't represent the Palestinians. Hamas took over in what, 2005? They also don't represent the Palestinians. Um, so I think most people reject Hamas, most people reject Fatah or the PLO or the PA, and they don't think that this is something that re really represents the Palestinians. Now, in terms of these efforts to make peace that Israel has had, first of all, we have to remember with who were they sitting at the table with? Again, with members of Fatah or the PLO or the Palestinian Authority or with Hamas, and none of these groups actually want to create peace with Israelis, and they don't really represent the Palestinians. And also all the deals offered on the table were always a conversation around the two-state solution. So you're speaking to the wrong people about the wrong things. Obviously, you're going to get a result that is nothing. Well, quick no question. More. Why yeah. are all of the leaders, why are all the Palestinian leaders, why do they all seem to have that same mindset? Meaning, like, where are these leaders that seem to be like-minded, as meaning to have the thought processes that you have, why are they not coming to the surface? Why does because it seem like all of them are extreme? They're not allowed to speak. There is a limitation of what Palestinians can say. And there are many leaders that I work with that are community leaders, that are leaders of their village, and they cannot show their faces whenever they do something with me or whenever we have conversations or whenever we record them. We have to change their voices and blur their faces for their own protection. And it's happened before. Palestinians that are activists with the movement that we have called Habayit that disappear for two, three weeks. And we're like, what happened to you? Well, I got taken and tortured by the Palestinian Authority and they threatened my family, so I have to lay low. So the reality is that they don't have freedom of speech, which is actually, I think, a responsibility for Israel to correct because Israel has the control over that land. So the same way it's protecting my rights of freedom of speech in Judea and Samaria, it should be protecting the rights of Palestinians. It should be investing in infrastructure. It should start paying you know, people to do local jobs like you know, garbage men and road workers and so on to actually take responsibility on the infrastructure and the sanity of the area. It should be investing in education. There's a lot of things that Israel should be doing that it's not to change the status quo with more power that it has. And I think in a way, Palestinians are suffering from Israel's schizophrenia. On one end, we say we want a two-state solution. On the other hand, we're building in Judea and Samaria. On one hand, we want this. On the other hand, we want that. We need to pick and be very clear with what we want. We will not want a two-state solution. This is not something that we would ever desire. We have to get away from that. <clears throat> in terms of the world and outside hating the Jewish people, I mean, I think they hate us whether we have power or we don't have power. For 2,000 years, we haven't had power and the world hates us. And I think there are greater reasons for why there's anti-Semitism, which is a whole other topic. I don't mind addressing it, but it's a pretty long topic to go into why anti-Semitism even exists. Um, I, didn't, I also don't, I, I would say to those saying, oh, well, now Israel has the power, so this and that. It's not because you have the power that makes you bad, right? So you have King David. At some point, he was a boy, he fights Goliath, he's the good guy. And eventually he grows up and he has power and he's King David and he's still the good guy. Whether you have power or not is not if you're good or bad, it's how you use that power that's important. Um, and in terms of the land, I think the land belongs to both. I think we have a different relationship with the land. I think our, our relationship is very similar. I think a lot of people don't know that um, a lot of Palestinians descend from Jews, that they are people that were converted to Islam and Christianity and eventually Arabized with time. Between at the very least 30% of the genetics of Palestinians is Jewish ancestry, if not more. We're actually doing a project right now of doing 50 DNA tests to Israelis and 50 DNA tests to Palestinians to show the common ancestry. Um, 
But furthermore, in terms of the Jewish majority, um, I don't think it's a problem. First of all, if Palestinians were to be integrated uh, into the Israeli society, naturally they would you know, become more educated, they'd be more successful. And in terms of birth rates, I'm not afraid of more Palestinians living in the land, but in terms of birth rates, it's national for any population. When the standard of living goes up, the birth rate goes down. So for people saying this claim that, oh, the numbers are this and that, well, the numbers don't remain the same when lifestyle goes up. Number two, there, there, there are millions of Jews in the diaspora that are not even the Jews that we know of. For example, the Pashtuns, who are descendants of Jews, are 50 million in Afghanistan. The Igbos, which not all of them kept their Jewish tradition, are 50 million. A percentage of them kept their Jewish tradition, but a percentage of 50 million is a lot of people. There's the Lemba in uh, in South Africa and in Zimbabwe. There's the Abba Yudaya in Uganda. There's Jews in Tanzania, in, in, in uh, Madagascar. There are Jews all over uh, Central and South America that they're the Bnei Anusim, that they're Murano Jews, that were crypto Jews that were taken from Spain and still know that they're Jewish but are not accepted in the Jewish community. There's the uh, Kefeng Jews of China. There's the Cochin and Bnei Manashu Jews of India. There are Jews in Papua New Guinea. There are Jews really everywhere that aren't even part of the consensus 15 million Jews that people know about that want to make Aliyah. And I see in the future a rise of them being able to come back to the land. So this idea of demographics is not something that scares me. And for me, the idea of more Palestinians in the land, I want more Palestinians in the land. Palestinians are our cousins. You know, I start seeing now things very differently than I used to several years ago. Now when I see a Palestinian with uh, the map of what I call the land of Israel with a necklace and I see the map of the Palestinians, to me, I don't see that as oh my God, that's a flag over my land and you're saying it's my land. If they have negative opinions about Israel and the Jewish people, for sure, I'm against them. But I see that naturally as this is the flag of their identity, the same way there's the flag of the Dulzim, there's the flag of other peoples, and this is the land that they connect to. That is actually beautiful. We connect to the same land. We love the same land together. I have my symbols, you have your symbol, I have my language, you have your language, you have your culture, you have your, we all have our different cultures, that's fine, we're not the same but we actually both love this land together. That's a starting point to be able to connect, not to disconnect. So I, th I think we need to see things differently and not just have fears of the other population because of their numbers, because of their demographics, or because of their identity. But I'd say, you know, Rudy, I, I just feel like from a human nature perspective, as much as I actually would want this to work as well, I just feel like as humans, we want to have something that's actually ours. So if we share it, it's funny, I, because I want to, I want that to work, but it meant, so let's say we all lived in the same place. We would probably be calling it something also. It's kind of weird if they call it one thing, we call it another, you know, in, in real, it's kind of strange. I mean, maybe that could work, but yeah. you know, yeah, let's say we have a soccer, you know, it, it's like two people sharing the same place that both fields theirs. Like, I don't know how that would work in actuality. For instance, like every, every religion other than us right so muslims have their own muslim countries christians have their own christian countries as jews i don't see why we can't have our one country the size of new jersey they all have theirs we should be able to have one place i think that's reasonable i don't think that's a crazy ask so i hear the point for me i have a, i guess a little bit more of a maybe a right-wing feeling and my feeling is it's not fair if I were a Palestinian, I would definitely not want Jews coming in droves in the you know 20s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even now, and saying, hey, guys, it's ours, get out. I don't really care what it says in your Torah. I, I'm here. My grandparents are here. So I get where they're coming from. I'm not saying I don't. I'm not saying, oh, get them out of here, kick them out. Da, da. I get what they're, where they're, what they're saying. At the end of the day, though, my feeling is also all is fair in love and war. We went, we went to war, we won, we've continued to win. It's not ideal. It's a shitty circumstance, quite frankly. But that's kind of what happens when you win a war. The winner, the winner takes the spoils of war. Um, and if they were to have won, I would, I would have said the same thing. Would have sucked because we're used to getting kicked around and, and killed. But I would have said, okay, well, we tried, we lost. What are you going to do? So I'm not saying to just throw them to the sea and say, hey, you lost, screw you. My point, though, is that when a war is won, I think Israel has uh, has that you know has that uh, we won. That's that's kind of how I feel. So um, I definitely want there to be peace. My feeling is that Israel should have the Jews should have the land as you know it's it's the Jewish land and and Israel as as our country, and they're welcome to live in our country and and be able to vote, be able to become anything they want as a profession, doctors, lawyers. Uh, go to college, do all that, even vote. Uh, but at the end of the day, 
it is a Jewish state. So to, to say that we'll be completely equal, kind of tough to say. I would want to say, I want to, to be able to say that, but just in actuality, when you're calling it a Jewish state and you're giving Jews the right of return and the ability to make Aliyah, you're automatically by default giving the Jews extra privileges. So they have that in, in most other countries. Muslim countries have that even more so. Uh, Christian countries, I don't know how much they have it. I, I can't really speak for that because I have to do more research. But I know that in Muslim countries, they definitely favor Muslims. Um, and I think to, to much more of an extent. So that that's my feeling. And and I, because uh, I'm just not sure. I don't know. I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying. And I actually, I really like it, by the way. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know how realistic it, it would be. Let me respond to, to a few points. Yeah, First of sure, all, you're right. There are two ways to achieve legitimacy. It's either you win the war, whether it's a legitimate war, or illegitimate war, and then the land is yours, or you are the native population and you have legitimacy because you have rightful ownership over the land. So, for example, in the case of Tibetans in China, China took over Tibet and expelled a large portion of the Tibetan people. And so the Tibetan people are saying we have a claim, even though they won the war that they took from us, this is still our land. That is a form of legitimacy. And China is saying we have our legitimacy because we took over that land. When it comes to the Jewish people, we are the native population. We are the original people. You think of that land, you find our history. And we're also the country that in a defensive war won that land and we kicked out the British in order to do so. So our legitimacy is there. I disagree that if we would have lost the war that we would have just accepted it. I would have fought in a revolution until we freed it. And I think we were fighting to free it from not the Palestinians, but from the British, before that from the Ottomans, from the Byzantine, from the Romans, from everyone else, until we got it and we got it in 1948. And I would have continuously fought until we got it. Now, in terms of you're saying, well, we have a right to a Jewish country because the Muslims have a country and the, the countries and the Christians have countries. I don't see Judaism as a religion at all. Um, because a religion is only a belief system for any people. Meaning, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're not a Christian. Well, that was more semantics. That was more semantics. I meant that yeah. uh, that as a group, we should, and especially because we have such a connection to it. Right. So is that's there... what I'm saying. We shouldn't have a country because we're religion. We should have a country because we're a people, and not just any country because we're a people, but a specific country because this is specifically where our civilization was. I hear often, and I'm not you that did it, but often a lot of people in the pro-Israel space that say, well, we have one Jewish country. They have many. Of course we have one Jewish country. There's no idea that we should have many Jewish countries because we're not a religion of having countries based on religion. We're people that are from one land, one civilization, one society. So of course we have that. Now you said it'd be a little bit weird to live with both peoples. I mean, you have Dozen living in Israel. It's not weird. You're part of the society. So it'd be a form of living in society. Yeah, but did Jerusalem have a claim? Did Jerusalem have a claim of, of having their own land per se? They're kind they of better. They're age. they're kind of nomadic in a sense, though, no? from what I understand. They're they're not nomadic, but they don't have asp uh, like aspirations to create their own country. And yeah, so that's honest, different. Palestinians didn't have that either prior to you know Hajimin al Husseini and all these movements that were trying to basically fight the idea of Jews being able to come here and create. Well, their doesn't own that country. kind of make my point a little stronger? About what? About the fact that this it makes sense for us to have Israel as as a Jewish state. <sighs> Yeah, meaning because it doesn't mean that it's not going to be Palestinian state as well, because the needs for the Palestinians and the needs for the Jews are not the same and they don't contradict. So if I experience this civilization as a Jewish civilization, which, by the way, I don't even think we have a Jewish state. We have a Western state with Jewish decorations. We have a British parliamentary system with some Menorah and a Magad David and some Hebrew. And we've slapped that on and think that all of a sudden it's Jewish. Clearly, what we have is not working, even in the Israeli society. We're what going on to our fifth election. The right is completely divided from the left. The religious is completely divided from the secular. Religious people feel it's not religious enough. Secular people feel that it's too religious. So clearly what we built here is amazing structure in terms of its success of its economy and, and its business and its thriving and so on. But the structure does not feel like a Jewish state, not for people on the right, not for people on the left, not for religious, not for secular. So I think we definitely do have, need to have a conversation of what does a Jewish civilization truly mean? And I think once we understand that, then we also understand what the needs are for a Palestinian civilization. We can understand that they don't contradict. And I'm going to give you an example of something that you know is usually seen as tough, but here's a very easy answer. The national anthem, right? Even uh, non-Jewish Zionists. So, um, you know, let's say Bedouin soldiers that are Israeli, that are Arab, that are Muslim and that fight in the army, or Druzim that are not Jewish and fight in the army, they don't sing the tikva. They don't sing the national anthem because it's Nefesh Yehudi, talking about a song for Jews. And they're not Jews, so they don't identify with the song. 
So how can you, let alone those people that are part of Israel, that are proud to be Israeli, that fight in the army for Israel, let alone the Palestinians coming in, how can they sing this national anthem that doesn't represent them? Well, a friend of mine actually created an Arabic song that talks about the other inhabitants of the land, including the Palestinians and their connection to the land in the same tune of the Tikva, written in Arabic that almost sounds identical to the Hebrew song at the same time. And so the idea is that you would be singing the two national anthems simultaneously, and it sounds like you're singing the same song. So there could be many creative ideas to cover these small little steps, like what is the name or what is the national anthem going to be? Um, so there's many ways. In terms of- What do you do with the flag? We'll figure it out. Maybe I connect to this flag, they connect to that flag. Those are like minor details that aren't going to make or break our society. You know, I can, we obviously feel that the flag of Israel is a holy flag. People died, blood was shed. Um, you know, it's the Magan David, which is a big part of our culture. It's the two black, blue stripes from the Talib. I connect to that flag. But the Druzim have their own flag. You go to a Druzi village and you see Druzi yeah. flags all over. You see the Druzim with their Druzi pins and everything else. And right, but, they accept, but they accept being under us. I mean, not under us. Like, but part but of yes, us. they accept being they, they, Israeli they accept and Druze. They accept being part of the society. So Palestinians would also accept being a part of the society as Israelis would accept being a part of the society that is also Palestinian. That's what I'm saying. Like we need to transcend. We've, we've, been, we've been raised in two separate movies where the Israeli movie is that the Israelis are the protagonists and the Palestinians are the antagonists and that the Palestinian movie is they're the protagonists and the Israelis are the antagonists. But the reality that this is not the future movie. The future movie is that we're both the protagonists in the story and those that are benefiting from either the government and the leaderships those that are sponsoring companies, uh, profiting from the conflict, U.S. foreign aid and all sorts of stuff that are profiting from these problems, they are the enemy and they're the antagonist to the story. So we have to create a new movie and there are conversations around it. Maybe they'll accept the Israel flag. Who knows? Maybe there's another flag for them that is not based on what the Sir Mark Sex drew up for them as like a flag because their flag is not even really a Palestinian flag. It's a British flag. Why do you think it's the same flag as Sudan and the UAE and all these other countries in the area? Because it's the same British colonial officer that drew all those flags. So maybe they'll not want that flag. Maybe they do. It really doesn't matter to me if they want to wave a flag with certain colors or not. If you connect to that flag, connect to that flag. If you connect to that name, connect to that name. As long as the structure that we built here fulfills the needs of the Jewish peoples and fulfills the needs of the Palestinians, that's what truly matters. Okay, so now I have another question. Islamic and Jewish traditions are very different, specifically because in, in Israel we have a secular government, which is a lot more free. I happen to think that a country should not be run theocratically. I think it should be run democratically in the sense where religion is not the, the, the base of government because I think it becomes too controlling that way. I think church and state should be separate. Um, my feeling is that uh, with with uh palestinian and israelis if we kind of got together the the our 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 religions are similar but when it comes to the way the palestinian side is run and the israeli side is run for instance if we got together let's say uh a lot of palestinians would want to wear hijabs and israeli women are running around kind of more free able to do what they want now you might have a lot of palestinians that would want to do more of what the israeli side is doing you see that with israeli arabs that have israeli citizenship a lot of them don't wear a hijab because they, they don't have to. But now that we have these very different cultures and, and, and societies, if they come together, let's say you have very religious Arabs and they want to keep that more insular uh, way of living, similar to how Hasidic Jews are, there's, there could be a lot of conflict there. So if all, if all is fine and well and everyone's okay with that, meaning if somebody in Ramallah, well, Ramallah is more secular, but... Uh, Nablus, Shrem, they tend to be a lot more religious. They don't, most of them, I imagine, don't want to be around a society like Tel Aviv. So that's kind of where I'm confused. Government wise, I think it would be ideal to have more of a secular government, but not everyone would be okay with that secular government. And the, the very religious Jews would oppose it as they do now, and the religious Muslims would oppose it as they do now. So how how do we work that out? That's what's so confusing. Yeah, so for me, I have I know it's semantics, but I have a really big problem with like considering Judaism a religion. So I don't think that we have a religion. I'm not trying to do that, but I'm saying I know, but I'm just for the record, you know, 
to make sure yeah. like, for me i have to because i think that a lot of religious values though man like religious yeah, values like religious, right religious values and it's i think it's actually very similar to islam i think also islam oftentimes sees judaism as a form of islam you know islam for them didn't start with uh, the mm-hmm. prophet muhammad they see adam as a muslim they see moses as a muslim they see uh abraham as a muslim because for them islam is the submission to allah the submission to Hashem. The Jewish people submit to Hashem. We just have our Prophet Moses and we have our Torah and they have their Prophet Muhammad and they have their Quran. But we both submit to this idea of oneness. So in a way, it could be argued that Judaism is a form of Islam if the idea of Islam is the submission to one higher power. So that being said, I think we have very similar cultures. I don't think there's a desire within Palestinian society to impose, um, you know, we need to wear hijab on all societies um, and all the land on all the culture. If uh, Nablus Shem does not want to associate with Tel Aviv, or the people don't have to go there if they don't want to. The same way that people of Mashalim will probably not want to go on the toilet of Tel Aviv, and I'm sure the people on the toilet of Tel Aviv that are playing their uh, Brazilian volleyball don't want to go to uh, to uh, Shem either or to uh, Mashalim. So I think people can live where they want, and I do think that the society can create something that's on a middle ground. For example, one of the bigger issues that's been in conversation for a long time is the idea of public transportation on Shabbat. I'm sure you heard of it. What do we yeah. do? Do we have public transportation or not? There's a very easy solution to it. Okay, Shabbat is uh, the arrest of the Jewish people. It's part of our culture, and the government should not pay for public transportation because a large part of the population feels that taking a car or using electricity is breaking Shabbat. Well, just allow private businesses to open bus companies and to run on Shabbat. And then private businesses would offer services for buses. People would have access to movement, choosing to invest their money in the private businesses with, which have freedom of, to do what they want. And then the government is not doing it. So the religious people don't feel that their government that they vote for is doing something, breaking the Shabbat. And people that are secular have access to the transportation. What I'm saying is that there's always a way to find a solution that works. We have to think of the solutions that work in order to get there. It's not that crazy to find solutions. Now, I don't have the answers to all your questions, the answers to all the problems, but I'm saying that there are ways to always find a solution to the problems and to find something that works for all. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm just like, especially from you, I keep thinking about the human nature perspective. Like I'm thinking of a soccer game and I'm thinking of the flag, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just like, there's so much passion that goes into this. You know, Israelis are like, well, Jewish, Israel, it's just... You know, and Palestinians have that same connection. They wave their flag and they think about it at a soccer game at a um, 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 Sakhnin, you know, team, whatever it is. And they they have their flag and they're both chanting at each other. There's so much, there's so much blood, sweat, and tears that goes into their their world and their land and, and everything. So I don't know. I'm I'm so curious. Like I would I. I would love to see a simulated world where what you're saying would happen and just see it unfold without it having to dis- to destroy, you know, God willing it would work or whatever, but I'm so cute. Cause I'm trying to visualize while you're describing it to me, I'm visualizing how it would be. And I want, I wish I could create that on like a video game or something and just kind of see how it would pan out or, or kind of hang out with God and watch it happen beneath me and just see it and be like, wow, it's actually working. Rudy, you're a genius, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, and, and maybe we don't see it in our lifetime. Maybe we do, but if we start pushing towards it, we'll get there. I mean, the options on the table are very simple. Either they kill us all. We kill them all. They kick us all out. We kick them all out. We continue the conflict. People continue to die and suffer, or we come up with something else. Those are the options. My feeling. Yeah, and then, by the way, those are the other options, and those are not those are not good options. Obviously, so the only right. real option to do is to try to figure out something else, and it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. When you said, "I'm thinking of soccer teams and how impossible the Jews and the Palestinians," Germany, right? We can accept that in the 30s and 40s, wanted as a society to eliminate the Jewish people. That same civilization, a decade later, supported the state of Israel. So, if Nazis and a German society that was in support for the majority of the Nazis could go from wanting to exterminate all Jews to supporting a Jewish state. I think cousins, Israelis and Palestinians, can find a way to come together on the land that they both appreciate. Well, the difference, however, as much as it's a wild thing, I don't know, and I, I don't know, I don't know how many Germans really support Israel. It could be from guilt. It could be that they 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 did such a horrible, horrible tragedy that they wouldn't outwardly admit that they feel the way they do, but. I would say, 
And I'm not trying to take away from that. It could be that Ger- Germans really do have a love for Jews now and they really feel terrible for what they did. But I'm not sure if it's as much as they love them or us, as much as it's maybe this massive feeling of regret that they just kind of put up a thing where, yeah, guys, we love you. We're so sorry. I don't know. It's, it's really hard to say. It could be there's still a lot of Germans that don't favor us. Um, I mean, I think I, there are a lot of people around the world that don't favor us, and it's sure that there's anti-Semitism in Germany too. But and 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 there could be some truth to what you're saying that there is like you know a feeling of guilt, and they wanted to do this to seem better in the world, and it's not because they cared the Jews. But the reality is that it's a crazy concept to think that this society that was burning Jews and gassing Jews and killing and shooting Jews, all Jews that they can get, to a decade later, it's not that long, now supporting the state of the Jewish people. And yes, we can add some nuances. It's very different either way. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's hard from there to there. If we can go from there to there, regardless of how it went, I think that family members can come together and be able to build something here that works as long as it truly creates justice for both. I think that's the necessity for both. But the thing is also, Rudy, that German Germany still rules Germany, meaning Germans have have rule over Germany, though. Mm-hmm. Meaning they, of course, it's a it's a melting pot of people, but it's predominantly German. And they have rulership. There's no that you know. There are people from Syria, people from all over the world that live in Germany, but they don't have, you know, they are under the rule of Germany and Germans. Uh, so I, I can't yeah. say that's from what you said about them uh, uh, now supporting us. Okay, that's a wonderful thing. But that example, as far as you go, I don't know if you're making that side of the example, but uh, now with our side. That would be the equivalent of Germans and you know a bunch of Swedish people moving in, and they say, "Okay, well, we're no longer Germany. We're 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 German. We're German. Germany, Sweden." But Swedish people are from Sweden, so they'd be foreigners in the land of Germany. Whereas Israelis and Palestinians are neither of them are foreigners. We're both from this land. So, like I said, a, a large percentage of Palestinians have Jewish ancestry, and regardless, even if a lot of them have this Arab and Bedouin, um, you know, ancestry as a part of them, the identity of Palestinian was born into the land. So for them, their identity is not from anywhere else. Like when they think of Jerusalem, it's not, we want Jerusalem instead of you. They really see Jerusalem the way we see Jerusalem in the way that mm-hmm. this is our capital, this is our homeland. They, they look at the land, they look at the soul and they connect to it. So once you realize that they actually have a very similar way of perceiving this land that we do, I don't think that's a point of division. I think that's a point of unity. If we both care about this land, then we need to honor the land. And we need to give the land dignity by being able to live together. How do we get there? Again, there are many ideas of how to get there, and it's not impossible to get there. I mean, if you have two people, let's, let's make it on the micro level, two people that are enemies, but the thing that they're enemies over, they both love, then they can find a way to no longer be enemies if they, their aspirations don't actually contradict each other, and that the thing that is separating them is actually the thing that they both love, and they should be taking care of both of the mm-hmm. thing that they love and creating a society that works. So it sounds utopian the same way the idea of creating a Jewish state prior to 48 sounded utopian. Oh, what do you mean a Jewish state? That's crazy. Jews are being persecuted. What, we're gonna come there, we're gonna do that. So it, it always, when, when you're having a revolutionary idea of moving forward to something in the future, it's hard to imagine it when you're in a situation that's pretty tough. But I think that the world has done much crazier things and overcome much crazier things than cousins coming together on the land that they don't have real things that are separating them, whether throughout, other than the movies that's living in our minds. Yeah, no, I, I, by the way, I love what you're saying. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, it all, you know, it's funny. I think the religious aspect of both sides makes it difficult. It can also be a solution, but take, take the, take the Temple Mount, for example. Okay. Harabite. The Jews can a lot of the time can't pray there, which I think is a problem. They can never pray there. Right. Which is a problem. Okay. Because and, and then from the Jewish religious Jewish perspective, the the Holy Temple, the Beit Hamikdash, was there. So we, uh, you know, religious Jews look at that as conquest, Islamic conquest. What? It's a historical perspective, not just a religious perspective. It's a no, fact. yes, but from but if it's a non-religious perspective for irreligious people, they don't. It doesn't matter to them because the world well, is built does, on conquest. It does if they like look at the Native Americans and respect their land rights and are respecting their land rights, not from a religious perspective, but from a human rights perspective. So the Jewish land rights should also be respected. Uh, yes, there's a religious element, but the reality is that our holiest site of the people, the culture, not necessarily the religious, also the religious, but the people and culture is Halabite. But in the Torah, in our culture, Halabite is supposed to be a house of Hashem for all peoples, not only for Jews. 
So we don't have aspirations of creating a third temple that is only for Jews. And the conversation of the third temple is it the create to use what exists already with the uh, golden dome and to expand it and to make it bigger? Is it that the actual place that was the, the Beit HaMikdash is actually behind it? There are theories that it's behind it and it's not even that place. There are theories that it's actually in the city of David and it wasn't there. There are many theories out there of where the temple mount and the temple itself actually stood. We need to first figure out where it truly was. Once we know where it truly was, then we have to figure out a way to build something but it will be a house for Hashem, for Allah, for all, not just for Jews. I thought, I thought we pretty much had proof that that's where it is. Seems, uh, there, it seems... there, there is disagreement. There are people that think that it's behind it. There are people that think that it's there because it's there. Because the, usually a lot of times the way that the Arabs build things, even in like a lot of our prophets that were buried in Iraq in different places, is they would usually have a mosque next to the place that was important. And they would have like a little memorial on the place that was important. And that's what happened. Palaksa Mosque is the mosque next to the Golden Dome. It's the mosque that's right next to it. And the Golden Dome, which was not golden until a few decades ago, um, was actually the, the structure that was built on top of it to represent that this is a holy place. So people are saying that this is the place because that's how uh, you know Muslims would build over places that were considered holy. That being said, there are archeologists that claim that it might've been behind it and that it's not actually on it. So there actually be a possibility to build two things there for both, or that it's actually in uh, the city of David. There are also claims that it was actually there. We don't yet know. We need to figure out first where it was and then have a conversation of how can we build something that unites both peoples and that respects Islam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just trying to visualize how this works. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's, uh, it's like, and then there's also the conversation of, religion and secularism like how do we run a government do we run a religious government or secular government my feeling is that a secular government's better because you kind of look at how the world works and generally a secular government creates more prosperity in a country uh religious you know legitimately religious countries uh where there's that rulership when i say religious countries i'm not talking about like the vatican i'm talking about uh muslim countries because christian countries are usually more democratic and free at least now it wasn't always like that at all but now with the religious country that forces the population to do things a certain way, if there's another group of people that does things differently, they don't have that freedom. So as far as I know, say, take a country like Iran, even if you have Iranian Jews, when the women are going out in the street, they can't just openly cover their, uh, open the, you know, have their hair open. I know that now it's more free and uh, before the, before the, the Ayatollah, before uh, uh, I think in the earlier 1900s, Iranian women could actually go on the beach with bikinis. Things, you know, when the Shah was there, things, you know, constantly change. But uh, what I'm saying is when you have a more religious entity, there's less freedom. So there's a lot of, for instance, Israeli Arabs, although they might not be thrilled how, with how things are, they have a lot more freedom than Palestinians do under their government. And I, I, I just find it funny. And I find that there's actually probably a lot of Palestinians that, would rather have it called Palestine, but in the current circumstance they're in, would prefer to live under Israeli rulership because they have more freedom to do as they please. If they want to wear a hijab, great. If they don't, also great. If they want to be religious, okay. If they don't, okay. They 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 can do as they as they please in, in the religious sense. And they can't necessarily do that in a place like Gaza. So um, would that be more moderate if both of us kind of work together? Maybe. But then again, there would probably be a lot of, in, re in reality, in my opinion, that because there's still a lot of religious people on both sides, to share it, it would become very complex. So I don't know. It's like, I, I, I it's really like what you're saying. I think it's a deeper conversation. We're not going to find all the answers to it. But sometimes right. things that are religious can actually just be cultural. So for example, in America, it's illegal to eat dogs. Why? Why is it illegal? Because the society decided that culturally we shouldn't be eating dogs and other animals as well, cats and so on. But you can eat chicken and you can mm -hmm. eat cows and you can eat other animals. Like who said that these animals are okay and these animals are not? It's the culture. So in Jewish culture and in Arab culture and Muslim culture, eating pig is wrong. And, you know, for Jewish culture, eating shellfish is wrong. So why should we make dog illegal to eat and not other animals illegal to eat. It is religious, but it's also cultural. So it's a very complex conversation to be had. 
Um, but it's a conversation to be had nonetheless. And I think that when peoples come together, that we can build a society that works. Clearly, Israel was able to create something that works. There's a lot of things that need to change that don't work, but it is possible to get there. Um, and I think it's not only things that are religious. I think that it's things that are also cultural uh, that have to be taken into consideration. And I don't think the society here, I think what you mean when you say you want a secular country, you're saying you want a country that has the freedom of choice. For people yes. that although the society is connected to the culture slash to their religious beliefs, they still have the choice to use it in their private life or not. They have the choice to use electricity or not. Shabbat. They have the choice to wear something on their heads or not. They have the choice to do what they want. And I believe in that. I believe that there should be freedom of choice for each people. Obviously, you can't freedom of choice to kill people, but there should be freedom of choice for how you apply your religious connection to your own identity. But there should also be a conversation around culture because dogs are clearly illegal to eat in Israel as well. Why? Because that's part of the culture. So maybe not having pigs as a, as a part of the... That's one thing we both agree on. Land, that can probably be a part of the culture as well. So I don't know the, the final solution of whatever we're going to get to in terms of like what we're going to get to for this, but the reality is that it's a conversation to be had. Right. I, I will, when it comes to food, Arabs and Jews are very similar to that. Halal and, and kashrut are very similar. So that's something that Arabs and Jews don't have an issue with because they eat not only is, you know, the, the, the certification, you know, the way it's done is different. You know, people who uh, Arabs can eat kosher, but you know, religious Jews can't eat halal, but it's still very similar. Like you just mentioned, we, we, we don't, all of the foods that we both don't eat, we both don't eat for the most part. Uh, halal is not as strict, but it's more or less the same thing. The, the different that you mentioned America, the difference in America is America is a melting pot. And although it's based on Christian Judeo value, Judeo Christian values, it's not really run by any particular group. Maybe you can argue wasps, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, but it's not, it's just a, a country based on freedom and democracy with freedom for all. And that's that. But with Israel, there's this sense of this is the Jewish state. So it's, it's, it's a democracy, but it's not a complete and utter democracy like America. If it has a claim to be a Jewish state or a Christian state or a Muslim state, it's not, it's not really possible to make it a full-blown democracy because then you negate the Jewish aspect of it. Because then it's like, okay, well, then it becomes another America. So if we want it to be a Jewish state, I don't know if it can be both. I'm not sure how that can legitimately work. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure I, if America is such a free country. I think that we have there's a democracy in America, but it's sort of an illusion. You have the illusion of the choice of two different presidents, and usually both those options are bad, and both those options are bought out by corporate interests. So I don't know how uh, free the society really is in practice. Maybe in theory it is. And I think that Israel in practice is a little bit more democratic. You have several more parties. Um, if the you know parties that you vote for remove their coalition, then there could be a new election the next day. Um, you know, the person that you want as a leader can stay for longer than two terms because if that's what the people want, they can continue having what they want. Um, I'm not for a lot of the structures of the British parliamentary system, but I think it's a system that in some ways is better and in some ways is worse. Um, but again, the, the conversation of what are the specifics of how we build is a much larger conversation. It's not one that's, it, it, it's not an answer that comes from one person. So I'm not the one that- Very tough. You're not the one. I think it's a conversation that starts with the generation having a conversation of what does it mean to have a Jewish state? And also, what is the next chapter of Jewish history? The previous chapter was Zionism. We came back to Zion, we freed Jerusalem, we're able to revive our civilization, we're living in our land. Now, what is the next chapter of Jewish history? What do we do with that land? What is our purpose? What is our mission statement? What is something that we can all unite, the right, the left, the religious, the secular, and the Palestinians? How can we create liberation for Palestinians within our society that allows us to transcend this conflict? You know, we talk a lot about in our culture, to help uh, empower other nations to do what they can do best and to also fix and heal the world. Well, how about we let like how about we fix our own home with our cousins before focusing on fixing the rest of the world? So I think that there's a conversation that needs to be had in this generation of what is the next chapter of Jewish history and to gradually answer those questions with people coming together and finding the solutions. Well said. It's awesome. Not beautifully said. I, I, I have nothing to add. I, I, I agree with you. I really like that. Um, you know, dude, I, I really, I really like how you look at things. I, I, um, 
it's you know what you know what it's actually so funny now that we're talking about this a great example of this is what's happening now in Sheikh Jarrah mm. all right yeah so I didn't even fully know what was going on I recently just saw a video that claims that that an Israeli bought it bought that land even before 1900 or something and I don't know if that's legitimate but sorry I could break it down if you want yeah, yeah, let's try to break that down. Sure. So, I mean, this has been all over the news the past few days and things are still hot and tense and not all the information is out and there's still court procedures and so on. But basically, the reality is that we're talking about in Sheikh Jarrah slash Shimon Sadiq, it's also the name of the area, uh, there were eight homes that were owned by Jews and other homes were owned by other Arabs and Palestinians and no one is having any claim to those homes. Yeah, so... Basically, what's happening is Sheikh Jarrah, which is also called Shimon Sadiq, uh, is a community. And in that community, there existed Jews there for a very long time that legally owned homes. They purchased those homes, they owned those homes, they built those homes. And in uh, 1948, the Jordanian army took over uh, Jerusalem and expelled all the Jews from all over Jerusalem, including in Shimon Sadiq. And those homes were owned by Jews and were taken by the Jordanian army and then given to Jordanian rich families. Those Homes were then reallocated for Palestinians around 54 to 56, where Palestinians moved into those homes and started paying rent to the Jordanian families that owned those homes. Now, fast forward to 1967, where you have the Six-Day War and Israel is reunified with uh, Jerusalem. The Israeli Jewish families that owned those homes went to the Israeli courts and said, hey, now that we have Jerusalem back, we have the deeds to these homes. The Palestinians don't even own these homes. The Jordanians are owning these homes, which they stole illegally from us. We want our homes back. And it took till the 80s for the court process to go from 67 to 82, right? There was court after appeal, after submission of proofs and deeds and so on. And the courts at the end ruled that the homes, these eight homes were owned by Jews and the ownership should go back to the Jews. However, the courts also ruled that the Palestinians now living in those homes should have respected residency and protected residency as long as the rent money that they were paying to the Jordanian families now be paid to the Jewish homeowners. Since 82, they have not paid one cent of rent. So it's almost 40 years, 39 years of families living in these homes owned by Jews, at no point owned by Palestinians, in between owning by Jews and owning by Jews, owned by Jordanians illegally. And they refuse to pay the rent. And the consequences for not paying your rent is, in any society, eviction. Right? And so, and they knew they had warnings. And we're not talking about, oh, six months, they didn't have time. We're talking about 39 years of willingly choosing not to pay rent and court appeal after court appeal after court appeal. And now they're being evicted. Am I happy to see that people are being evicted? Absolutely not. Do I think that Israel should have done it at a different time? Maybe not during Ramadan? Yeah, absolutely. You shouldn't do it during Ramadan where people are fasting. Do I think that Israel should have maybe said, well, you know what? Technically, we don't have to, but we're going to make a gesture and we're going to give you subsidized homes somewhere else for six months and you have six months to find another place. Could there have been a gesture like that to ease the process? Absolutely. Could there have been communication and information for people to know what's going on prior to it happening so people are informed of the situation and we don't let the media just manipulate and divide people? Absolutely. There's so many things that could have been done different. But the bottom line is that we're not talking about the removal of Palestinians because of Israelis are coming and Palestinians are leaving. This is not an ownership of Palestinians versus Israelis. This is an ownership of Jordanians that took the land illegally, that the Jewish families were given the land back legally per the Israeli courts. By the way, the same Israeli courts that in 2017 took apart Amona, which was a Jewish village built on partially owned Palestinian lands because those lands were owned by Palestinians and that village was built illegally. That same court. So this court is not biased towards one side or the other. It is doing what's right based on the proofs and who truly owns the land. And that's the situation. And unfortunately, the media has spun it into Israelis are coming and taking the land of Palestinians and this and that. And a bunch of propaganda has come out. And then that's led to now a lot of violence in Jerusalem, where in the Temple Mount slash Al-Aqsa complex, all of a sudden they're doing riots and they're, they're being violent, not only riots, but violently throwing stones across the Kotel. I don't know if you saw a video. But they're, yeah, I saw that. they're running out of the Kotel because there are rocks being thrown at them. And rocks aren't just something to resist. They actually kill people. I know people that have been killed from throwing rocks. I can show you images of the, the faces of police officers with blood all over their face because of rocks thrown at them. And there was a violent clash where the police officers had to go and to break up these violent protests. And not only rocks, they were like throwing fireworks and, and lighting things on fire and doing all sorts of stuff. And on top of that, chanting, bomb Jerusalem, 
bomb, not bomb Jerusalem, bomb Tel Aviv, bomb Kiryat Shmone, and bomb all sorts of things and kill Jews. So th- this was a very violent protest. And unfortunately, when there's violence, there's more violence. And the Israeli police came and there are many police officers that did things that, you know, when you look at the videos, it's like, okay, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that to extend the force. But, you know, it's very easy to judge when you're not in that situation, right? When you're with heavy gear and your friends just got sent to the hospital and you're in a place where you're surrounded by people that, you know, are screaming for your death and there's stones being thrown at you. Sometimes people act in a way that, you know, they wouldn't act in a way that, that was normal. So we're not here to justify the wrongdoings. We're not here to take things out of context of what happened, but it's important to understand that the reason for why this violence is a manipulation of information and turning people one against the other. And that's the origins of this cause. People turning against one another. And that's what we have to break away from. And the people who truly care about moving us forward have to realize this and break out of this paradigm. Yeah, I, I we definitely should have some people speaking from from that side, though, because all I'm seeing in the media is what is what you mentioned. I saw a woman. I saw a girl. This is why I knew this, because I saw a girl that that mentioned that side, because I, I figured there was a there was another side to it. Um and I just want to see that being spoken about more. I'm glad we just talked about it now. Hopefully, at least a bunch of, some people will see this. Uh, but I, yeah, now that I know what's going on, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a very complex situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, they got to pay rent if that's what the deal is, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, it, it would be the same thing for a Jewish family renting out from a... From Palestinian family, and that doesn't happen often because there's a rule that Palestinians should not rent to Jews, and there's like a a price on people's heads if they sell from a Palestinian to a Jew if they sell property. Right. So that's a whole other issue to touch on. But if a right. Palestinian owned a home that was renting to a Jewish family, and the Jewish family was living there for forty years rent free, and the courts went through appeal system and everything and said you're going to be evicted, no one would bat an eye. You know, but because these are Jews, then all of a sudden they say, oh, they want to retake uh, Sheikh Jarrah and make it Jewish instead of Palestinian. That's not true. Now, how are they even getting this? They use the video of extremist groups saying, we want all of East Jerusalem to become Jewish. Okay, I can show you an extremist video of a Muslim guy saying horrible things in the name of Islam. I can show you a video of a Palestinian guy saying on the name of Palestinians. Does that mean that represents all Muslims? That means it represents right, all Palestinians? Right, for sure. The reality for sure. is that this fringe group is, is detested by Israel. A lot of them have been in jail, uh, have problems with the police, and are, don't represent the majority of the population. But again, the way that media works is to divide and conquer and to sell ads based on people watching, and they need to keep people watching, and people have interest in dividing populations. And I think it's time for us to wake up and not allow foreign interests or people profiting from our conflict to divide us. Yeah, we just need more people to speak about it. People like you. So I, and I'm, I'm also here, you know, I'm talking about it. Um, so, okay, Rudy, I, I, we covered a, a heck of a lot of ground, I'd say. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming. And thank you for, for, for educating me. I, I appreciate it. Uh, always, always nice to learn from you and, and understand more. So, yeah, looking forward to, to schmoozing with you some more in the future. Guys, don't forget to subscribe to the channel, like the episode, share it with people. Let me know in the comments what you think. Um, again, man, thank you so much. And yeah, looking forward to speaking with you soon. For sure. Yeah, I'll see you in Jerusalem soon. Take care, man.